The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No, just an ob- just an observation that um, obviously we see over the past few weeks, uh, building up over a few months. Uh, there's clearly a fairly vocal contingent of people out there who have strong views on immigration, on asylum. Um, when you look at the numbers, obviously there has been a significant increase in the number of people arriving in Ireland and seeking asylum. Uh, and there might, might I, I probably feeds into some increased level of anti-immigrant sentiment. If you look across Europe, um, whereby there is in most countries at this stage a a political party that is in some cases getting up to 15 to 25, if not more, or in government like in Italy, uh, competing on uh, particular policy issues of anti-immigration and are being very successful. And Ireland, interestingly enough, and this is in the political science literature, is the odd one out. It's the only country really that's left that you don't have an electorally competitive uh, radical right party. And as many of my students have done yesterday theses on this, about why not? What's going on? What are the mm. conditions? I suppose I've always maintained that let's not be naive enough to think that it won't happen. It could just be a case. It's only a matter of time. And if you look at other countries, I mean, look at Germany, the rise of Alternative for Deutschland. A large part of it was in the aftermath of the mass inward migration of peoples because of the war in Syria and everything that happened in the Middle East. So these conditions change. It's very it's very uncertain. So, yeah, my own view would be that... Um, Unfortunately, Ireland may mm. be entering into this space in the next few years. Uh, what people might say then, um, and, and I'm sure this is the conversation you have with your students, so you'll be well used to this, is that maybe there's not a culture of it in Ireland. So you mentioned Germany. Right? Germany is a classic yeah. example, and today is the 90th anniversary of Hitler becoming chancellor, as it so happens. But, um, you know, the, people say that there is a legacy there, there is a culture there, uh, and they would say that exists right uh, across Europe. That there's no evidence of that in Ireland, you know, that be it extreme right or left, we are kind yeah. of a, a kind of a, a, a middling centrist country when it comes to politics. But we have a very strong tradition of nationalism as well. And I think, interestingly enough, that's probably what has uh, disabled the emergence of a radical right in a way that most political scientists, quite frankly, don't can't really get their head around. Because in most countries, nationalism is something that has been typically of the conservative Catholic right. And of course, in this country, historically, that has been the case too. Um, so, but, but, but more recently, the kind of the Republican trend of nationalism in Ireland has been grounded in a kind of anti-imperialism. The rise of Sinn Féin, obviously, is very much built around a kind of anti-system, left economic, anti-austerity. The, the elites are rich and ripping off the system type narrative. And it kind of uses the, the flag for sure, but it's very much on a kind of civic nationalist perspective. And it hasn't really been used in an anti-immigrant way at all. And I think lots of outside observers looking in at Ireland find that very interesting and unusual because in most countries... The idea that you would be nationalist and on the left and be pro-LGBT rights and pro-immigration and fighting for the rights of asylum seekers while also waving the, the flag of your country, that doesn't really happen anywhere, you know? So in that sense, I think the, the, the histories of nationalism in Ireland has actually blocked off the emergence of, of a far-right party because, you know, quite frankly, Sinn Féin have been able to carve out that space for themselves and, and they don't pursue a rhetoric or a narrative or a policy that looks anything like the far right in other countries, even though they are an anti-system party. So yeah, it's complex in that sense. I think the story of nationalism in this country is part of this. But uh, Sinn Féin's policies, though, are surely so well known now, though, that there are very few people left who succumb to nationalist fervour uh, would be more inclined to the right wing of the political spectrum, but are supporting Sinn Féin because of the flag. 
you know, surely they, yeah. they realise at this point, well, hold on, Sinn Féin's policies don't really match my own. Yeah, I think, and I think what, I think, so, so I think, you know, if you take a more, say, broader perspective, you know, there has been this rise of anti-system politics or what, you know, some people call kind of rise of populist politics. And most of that populism has been kind of fed by uh, political entrepreneurs on the right who really much folk kick down and focus on immigration and kick down on women and LGBT rights and are all about kind of the insecurity of the man who's somehow, you know, a minority in the society these days. And they've managed to kind of tap into a certain anger and resentment there. And it's very much a cultural narrative and it's part of the culture wars. But in Ireland, the anti-system kind of populist trend of politics, which is clearly here and it's clearly very strong, as you know, Kieran, has been kind of it's Sinn Féin who have kind of occupied that space and they don't pursue that narrative. And I think that is important. And therefore, I think I would hypothesize to be scientific about it, that that is part of the reason why we don't see an anti-system party on the far right. But as you say, and quite rightly, Sinn Féin at the same time are an established political party. And they can kind of adopt that anti-system, anti-elite perspective for the moment. But when they go into government in the Republic, uh, as up in the North, they're not considered to be an anti-system party. They will just become part of the establishment. And I think at that point, you know, the kind of political space opens up uh, for some other kind of anti-system political entrepreneur, to put it like that, that's going to try mobilizing these questions. And I don't think they'll be compete, competing with Sinn Féin mm. on the kind of left, on the economy. No, they'll be saying, hold on a second here. Who's representing people on immigration? Who's representing people who, you know, who want to drive all day? It's the Greens, it's the Liberals, it's all these people in government now, and Sinn Féin are part of that. I could quite imagine something happening in that space. So so I think, yeah, when Sinn Féin enter government, um, all bets are off. Hey, one of the other observations that people make, uh, and again, you have heard this before from students and elsewhere, is that, you know, emigration, rather than immigration yeah. was the big influencer here it was the release valve and that you know it's not necessarily young people who lead these kind of movements for revolutionary change but the, you know it is young people who are the you know the Sturmabteilung if for want of a better yeah. description again to go back to what was happening 90 years ago um, and, and that you know that they haven't provided the fuel for the fire is there anything in that? I think there I think there, I think there's something in it in the sense that nobody really in Ireland who is reasonable in their thinking could look at their own family, uh, their own history and have some sort of position on anti-immigration and see it as a problem for society because (laughs) every one of us in this country (laughs) has somebody who's living outside of the island or has family outside of the island. And, you know, we have this very strong history and culture of immigration, but reason doesn't apply in these these cases. (laughs) I think what is interesting, and again, Ireland differs in this sense, so, you know, just, just to, 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 you know, at the expense of kind of over-confusing this stuff for, for, for your listeners, but like, what do we know from other countries in terms of who votes for the far right? Well, education is an important variable. Typically, it's those without higher education, not necessarily low income, but people without higher levels of education who tend to have more culturally conservative attitudes towards immigration and towards minority rights uh, that, that tend to be more likely to vote for the far right. Obviously, that would suggest in a country like Ireland, that is more likely to be older voters or younger voters without higher education. Mm. But Ireland also is a country that has the highest higher education levels in the Western world at this stage alongside Luxembourg. Because of our kind of very open, let's get everybody into university type system, it, you know, if it is indeed the case that if you have higher education, you're less likely to go in this direction, well, then you would say, well, therefore, Ireland is less likely to go in this direction because there's so many voters who are moving into that space. 
But at the same time, we both know, Kieran, that's, that's still not representative of all society today at this point in time because there's a huge age gap. There's a huge inter intergenerational dimension mm. to this. So, uh, so I think, yeah, a younger, more educated workforce or voter is less likely to vote for the far right, but um, they're still not the majority in society. The, 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 were this to happen, um, be it with Sinn Féin in government or, or sometime shortly thereafter, um, I mean, they'd be coming from a fairly low base. It, it's easy to yeah. kind of look at videos, isn't it, online of, of protests outside politicians' offices and think this is a huge problem. But, you know, a few hundred yeah. people looks great on a, on a Twitter video, but you spread yeah. a few hundred people across the country and, you know, their candidates are almost kind of the local laughingstock in terms of their yeah. return. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I hope I'm absolutely wrong about this, right? Uh, I hope that uh, in a few years' time, you know, Ireland will be and continue to be the outlier uh, in this space. But um, if you just put a few different things together, obviously the housing situation, I think, is a key part of what's likely to fuel a lot of this. When you have such a scarce resource, for want of a better term, and lots of people competing for it, uh, that's that creates tension, that creates conflict in society. And if there's a perception that, you know, those who are undeserving are getting benefits or jumping the queue ahead of our people, that's likely to feud into kind of resentment and political conflict as well. Um, so, yeah, you're quite right that we'll be building from a low base. But uh, as you also know, Karen, from history, many of these movements start from a low base uh, mm. and it doesn't take long for, for, for the fire to grow. Um, you know, and it doesn't. And typically it depends on a very charismatic individual uh, who, who manages to develop a discourse and narrative that is not explicitly racist, that is not explicitly kind of, you know, very kind of clever in terms of the, the narration of it. And I think that's actually what you see amongst the kind of scattering of the far right in Ireland. They're not clever in that sense. In terms, I, I sound terrible. It's like I'm telling people what to do, but they don't have that narrative. Uh, but we know from other countries that usually it's some sort of very clever politician who manages to catch on to that uh, and uses a, a certain kind of way to be and a way to talk and communicate that resonates with people. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.